Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Friday, March 3rd. Coming up, a legendary Kansas City jazz performer has passed away. Plus, when the Spencer Museum of Art in Lawrence redesigned their galleries, they did something a little unusual and asked a poet to chime in. What does it mean to reimagine not just who gets to be seen in museum spaces, but who who comes into museum spaces, who interacts with and has a voice within? We'll hear about the special collaboration. But first, some headlines. A 15-year-old Olathe boy was sentenced Wednesday to more than seven years in prison for his role in a fatal shooting at Black Bob Park last year. KCUR's Carlos Moreno has more. The teenager, who is not being identified because of his age, pleaded guilty last August in Johnson County Court to second-degree murder. He is one of 17 charged in the killing of 19-year-old Marco Cardino. Prosecutors say Cardino came to the park last May to sell them marijuana, but the teens planned to take the marijuana and then steal Cardino's money. Another 15-year-old who allegedly shot Cardino as he tried to escape will be tried as an adult. Despite legislators' easing of gun laws in Missouri, a new poll shows the majority of residents want stricter regulations. KCUR's Peggy Lowe reports. The latest St. Louis University YouGov poll shows most Missourians, regardless of race or political party, support a host of gun laws. Those include so-called red flag laws, which allow states to temporarily remove firearms from a person, waiting periods on purchases, and other screenings before buying a weapon. There was, however, little or no support for an outright ban on gun sales. Poll director Stephen Rogers says despite being a red state, Missourians want more progressive policies. The poll was conducted between February 8th to 14th. A bill creating new penalties for sleeping or camping on government-owned property was met with fierce resistance in the Kansas State House yesterday. Blaze Mesa of the Kansas News Service reports. It would be a misdemeanor to sleep in a park or other government property without permission. Someone could also be fined $1. The legislation could also cut state funds to cities with higher-than-average homeless rates. But that would only happen if the state determined the city wasn't complying with the bill's ban on camping in public places. It was blasted as an attack against homeless Kansans that criminalizes rather than helps people in crisis. Judge Glock is from the Austin, Texas-based Cicero Institute. He was the only person to support the idea. The bill is a modest but necessary reform that ensures that cities and public places enforce widely adopted and accepted laws against public disorder and public camping. Over 50 people testified against the legislation. We'll be back after this. You listen to Kansas City Today every day because we're your local, reliable news source. You take us seriously. But now it's time to have some fun. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host Ari Shapiro is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org radioactive.
When the Spencer Museum of Art at the University of Kansas spent $4 million to redesign its fourth floor, curators deliberately chose a more diverse exhibition of artwork. They also asked a local writer to respond to those works with poetry. Julie Denache reports for KCUR. Last month, Anthony Boyton and Susan Earle, curator of European and American art, wandered the hallways of the Spencer Museum of Art. They were looking for the works of art Boynton wrote about. After the museum reimagined their 48,000 object collection, they commissioned Boynton to write poems inspired by six works now on view in their new galleries. The museum plans to eventually present the poems as recordings, accessible via QR codes. For now, they're typed out on paper. So aren't they just around Yes, so there's the one in the cabinet, there's this one, and then there's one more. This weekend, the museum will officially celebrate the redesign with a reopening event. Boynton is getting a preview. The two stop in front of a painting. It's two angels carrying a man over a river. There's a kind of Afrofuturist thing that's happening where flight is metaphor, but also something else. Oh, that's so beautifully put. Boynton is a poet (laughs) and a member of a writer's group called Black Lawrence. He's from Columbus, Georgia, and he's a doctoral candidate at the University of Kansas. I really do see the world in language. So there's already a way in which I relate to art and to music that would have me drawn to respond. Boynton says choosing the artwork to write about took time. I said, okay, I want to really pay attention to the art pieces that center black folks. So quite a few of the artists I'm responding to are from the Caribbean, from the American South, from Africa, or have a black subject. One of the works that caught Boynton's eye is a painting of a woman with a soulful expression, wearing a brown suit. It's called Portrait of Charlotte Sullivan, and it prompted a haiku from Boynton. In response to Portrait of Charlotte Sullivan by Stevens. Hide no more. I will teach you, my dear, how to hold your head holy and look forward. This weekend, Boynton will be on hand to read his poems and guide visitors through the new galleries. Part of the reason that we have loved collaborating with Anthony Boynton and Black Lawrence is Many of them are so talented at thinking about stories, creating stories, and new narratives. Earl says the years-long renovation and reinstallation was a chance to reorganize the exhibits with a wider community in mind. I think the openness, in some ways, we hope is a metaphor for being more open to other voices coming in and have this really be a participatory place where people will make it feel more their own and a place that they can find space that feels welcoming. Boyton says the poetry project has raised new questions. What does it mean to reimagine not just who gets to be seen in museum spaces, but who who comes into museum spaces, who interacts with and has a voice within? And for Earl, voices like Boyton's bring greater meaning to the artwork she sees every day. For me, Anthony's poems loom really large in my appreciation for what we've done here, and it's partly 
I love poetry. His writing is so beautiful. So it just brings to me a depth to the experience. And I think, well, it's all been worth it because he wrote these poems. Erlen Boyton hope his poems and the new exhibit will inspire visitors long after this weekend. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Julie Denishay. You can find more on Saturday's event at kcur.org. Two Kansas City jazz legends died this week, singer Ida Macbeth and tap dancer, saxophonist, and singer Ronald McFadden. We'll feature a segment on Macbeth next week. But today, we'll talk about McFadden, who was one half of the internationally known McFadden Brothers. He died unexpectedly on Monday after a performance with his brother Lonnie at the Lowe's Hotel downtown. KCUR's Steve Kraske spoke to two Kansas City jazz veterans about McFadden's legacy. David Bassey, a singer and radio host, and Greg Carol, a vibraphonist, former head of the American Jazz Museum, and leader of nonprofit Kansas City Jazz Alive. Here's part of their conversation. Greg, I was going to say Ronnie and, and Lonnie McFadden were throwbacks in a way with their, you know, tap dancing, their live performances. Yeah. It included playing their horns, singing, and tap dancing. I mean, who tap dances anymore, Greg? Oh, man. Um, their kids do. <laughs> <laughs> But I'll, I'll tell you what, and, and anybody that that sees them wants to tap dance because they're so they're 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 both, and particularly in the case of Brother Ronnie, so inspirational. Um, I mean, when you think about what they've done to maintain the lineage of their of their father, smiling uh, smiling Jimmy, right, right, right. Um, who was that great 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 uh, hoofer, which is you know as everybody knows the. Uh, another word for tap dancer, they just, they just took over um, and maintained that tradition that was so interconnected to jazz and the, the you know, the, the dance ways of the greats like, like uh, uh, the Nicholas brothers, Mr. Bojang. I mean, all these great, great people, they just, they just took that over and they maintained that and then inspired that and helped to, to, to build that into growing uh, and contributing to the jazz ecosystem here in Kansas City. So when when one says who tap dances anymore, I think about there's 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 this movement. I think they call it tap tapology. There's a there's a magazine that identifies and sort of you know showcases dancers around the world, and there are young kids coming up in this in this dance that are maintaining the tradition. And it's because of people like Ronnie McFadden mm-hmm. who have who have carried on the tradition. We will see the next Ronnie McFadden. Um, we will see the next Nicholas Brothers come out of whatever city. And that's attributed to not only the great work that Ronnie did and Lonnie continues to do, but the work that was inspired by their dad through his traditional um, method of learning as well. So, um, yeah. David, you know, these guys traveled the globe. Give us a sense of their reach over the years. Well, they traveled me way new. They yeah. Stuff in Vegas. They worked with Sammy Davis. They, they, Count Basie Orchestra. Yeah. Count Basie Orchestra. They had a place in Branson for a while. They were they negotiating and negotiating to get a, get a place at 18th and Vine that would just be there so they could do shows. You know, and and Lonnie has just you know amazed people coming out of the pandemic with this 
nightclub and, you know, working like he does, you know. In, at the I Ambassador mean, Hotel, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're down the Ambassador Hotel downtown, yeah. So it's, uh, uh, they've had a great career. You know, I know about Ronald McFadden, the performer, Greg Carroll. I didn't know much about what he was like to be around. Tell us about him. Wow. He was beautiful. So I remember um, when I was the chief executive officer at the American Jazz Museum, Ronnie and Lonnie were, uh, I think, two of the first group of musicians that came to meet with me. Um, and it, one thing that struck me about Ronnie was whenever you were in his presence, he was always very respectful, very reverent to you, to what you do. He appreciated people who were in the jazz business because we all have to work together. I mm -hmm. never got that sense of vitriol from Ronnie that I had maybe received from others that, you know, Kansas City has, has really struggled with uh, to some extent. I never really got that from him. He, he was always very respectful very appreciative of what we were doing um, and 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 very happy to be among the group of musicians. So he he also knew that while he was while he played the saxophone and he sang, he knew that, you know, his two main instruments was his left foot and his right foot. Mm -hmm. Well, Greg, he died knowing that Kansas City regarded him as a member of the city's jazz royalty. I mean, just last year, he and his brother were enshrined on the Jazz Walk of Fame outside the American Jazz Museum. I mean, both of them joined people like Count Basie, Bobby Watson, Jay McShann in receiving that honor. You know, in hindsight, Greg, I'm glad he received that distinction when he did. Yeah, yeah. And that was something that uh, the committee debated over initially uh, for a while because it was, should we give it to people who have passed on or give it to people who are living as well or mixed? Uh, and so obviously a combination won, but it makes sense. If 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 there can be awards, it was our it was important to me, and, and this happened prior to my or after my leaving the museum. Right. But it was important to me to honor them also at the museum as part of our recipients of the Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, we had a long list. We had to work through that list. But uh, certainly um, he did get some of his flowers. Uh, I, I, I think that uh, oftentimes we don't give our jazz musicians enough flowers mm -hmm. while they're here. And so mm -hmm. I, I would hope that his passing will strike a light and ignite some of that uh, energy among all of us to make sure we pay respect in the ways that we should. That was KCUR Steve Kraske speaking to Greg Carroll and David Bassey about the passing of Ronald McFadden. You can hear their entire conversation from KCUR's Up to Date at kcur.org. Next week, we'll feature a conversation on the legacy of jazz singer Ida Macbeth. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin, Paris Norvell, and KCUR Studios, and edited by CJ Janovey and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Julie's story about the Spencer Museum of Art and a remembrance of Ronald McFadden, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. On Monday, we'll catch up with the latest at the Missouri Legislature. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.